Welcome to Warren Media's podcast of Out of Our Minds blog posts. This is episode 82. It's titled, What Faithful Preachers Need from Their Sheep. It's by Tim Bailey. I'm also your reader. And the date is May 3, 2023. Having twice preached through the book of Acts, something I found remarkable there is burned into my heart. Consider the faithful support and defense documented there, which preachers receive from their brothers and sisters in Christ. Each time I go over the accounts of the persecution suffered by the church's preachers, Peter, John, Stephen, Silas, and never-endingly Paul, it seems impossible. There's no mention of men or women in the church blaming the preachers for all their troubles. Consider how the Apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, quote, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, unquote. This Jesus whom you crucified. Pretty intense, isn't it? Peter cries out to the conscience of his listeners, warning them, they crucified the man God is now made Lord and Messiah. It's not a gentle and lowly theme. No one at the time would have found it graceful or comforting. And we know this because of this account of what happened as soon as he'd said these words. Quote, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Unquote. How did our Pentecost preacher end this sermon? He responded, quote, Peter said to them, repent. Unquote. This is from Acts 2. Listening to the Apostle Peter's boldness and faith condemning the wickedness of his listeners that day, it seems unlikely Reformed church members and officers today would have responded the same. This is maybe much more likely. Quote, Peter, what is wrong with you? Jesus is grace. He's not condemnation. Don't you believe in God's grace? You're not doing Christ-centered preaching. Do you think you're some Old Testament prophet or something? You wasted a perfect opportunity to extend an olive branch. They just killed Jesus. They know it. Don't insult them by pointing out the obvious. Watch out, or they'll kill you too, and us, Unquote. The same preaching to the conscience convicting listeners of sin and righteousness and judgment is documented repeatedly across the pages of Acts. Shortly after Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, 
We read how the apostles Peter and John were again preaching the gospel, and it infuriated the, quote, rulers and elders and scribes, unquote, of Jerusalem. Thus, they called Peter and John into their assembly, where after interrogation and debate, quote, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, unquote. Then the account continues, quote, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Unquote. This is the classic text demonstrating the proper time to refuse to obey civil and ecclesiastical authorities whom God has commanded us to obey. Next occurs what I'm trying to draw attention to. We read that when Peter and John, quote, had been released, they went to their brothers and sisters in Christ and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, unquote. Note what they reported to have been said to them was intensely hostile, and it was said in the immediate aftermath of the murder of Jesus by these same authorities. Every brother and sister in Christ knew what was at stake, not just with the apostles Peter and John, but also with all 5,000 of them now joined together in the Jerusalem church. The livelihood and life of every member of the Jerusalem church was on the line, and each of them knew it. Did they respond by gagging their preachers? Did they tell Peter and John to be quiet? Did they demand Peter and John take steps to de-escalate the situation? Nope. Listen to their response, which was a prayer. Quote, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Quote, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, unquote. And their prayer continues, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, unquote. No flinching, no appeasement, no suing for peace. Honestly, you wonder if there were any peacemakers in the church at that moment. How did God respond? We pick up the account with the next words of Acts. Quote, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. This is from Acts chapter 4. 
When I was an undergrad at University of Wisconsin in Madison, I watched a Christian street preacher torn apart verbally and physically out on Library Mall. I'd often watched and admired his zeal, his pertinacity. Standing there behind the crowd of hundreds, I'd watch him getting mocked and manhandled by wicked women and men, even at the point of one man physically assaulting him sexually. I watched as the police present joined the mob in their laughter, doing nothing to protect him from that assault. The students of the Evangelical Parachurch Ministries on campus did nothing to defend him. They just whined about how wrongheaded and unhelpful he was to the spread of the gospel. After the pagan picked God's servant up and held him in a bear hug while pantomiming buggering him, the campus vice president and president, Leon Variant, and Jim Mallon arrived pulling a radio flyer red wagon filled with cases of eggs. Leaving their wagon at the back of the crowd, Leon, wending his way up to the front and at a very close range, began pelting the preacher with dozens of eggs. The crowd of students and law enforcement officers drew a large circle around the assault, laughing and applauding it. And while their attention was on Leon assaulting the preacher with eggs, I walked over to the wagon and began picking up their eggs one by one and smashing them into the concrete. Smash, smash, smash. Momentarily, mob psychology became a real thing. In a single moment, the crowd that had been surrounding the preacher, howling in glee at his humiliation, shifted. It was like a wave. And in seconds, the crowd surrounded me. I hadn't accounted for this, and their laughter had turned to fury. It was astounding. I'd never experienced such a thing, and my hair stood on end. The danger was visceral. A young girl watching over my left shoulder as I write this just now asked, Is this about you? No, it's not about me. It's about the preacher of Jesus Christ, my hero. I'm ashamed it took me as long as it did to stand up and defend him. By God's grace, I left without being punched. Thankfully, the assaults on the preacher stopped, and I don't ever remember them returning. From the smashed eggs, I walked up State Street and across the Capitol Square to the city police headquarters, where I requested to meet with the officer in charge. Kindly, he met with me and I filed a formal complaint against his officers for doing nothing to protect the preacher. He listened patiently, and I left relieved that he hadn't gotten angry with me. He seemed genuinely concerned. Understand why I've always had a love for men who are hated for righteousness' sake, particularly pastors. Dear reader, do you know how many of them are punished for their faithful pastoral care and preaching each and every week? Do you know and grieve how many of them are fired every month by evil men who hate God and his word? Do you know how many of their wives are intensely frustrated and hurt? How many of their godly wives have had to fight off bitterness at their husband's persecution, usually by the rich members and officers of the church? Do you know how many pastor's kids become pastor's kids, because of the suffering they watch their loving and zealous for God Father endure. These past two weeks, I've been communicating with two pastors whose jobs are on the line. Both of them are humble and godly. Both have excellent wives. Both love their sheep. 
Both have been on the hot seat, and now one of them has been fired. For what? Nothing that we don't read about over and over and over in Scripture. So why do so few of us recognize these same things when they happen in our churches today, in the here and now? These same conflicts are all over the book of Acts. Both of my fellow pastors are being opposed because they are doing their work faithfully in the fear of God. But oh boy, how their rich and proud members egged on by their wives hate them for it. It's a very old story. Remember what they would say to Jesus, we have Abraham and Moses for our fathers, we are circumcised, you shut up, we don't need you. We've made our separate peace with Herod and Rome, don't mess with the good thing we've worked so hard for, go away, leave us alone. Updated, it has now become, we are Christians, we are baptized, we gave the money to build this church, we own this place. Don't mess with the good thing we've worked so hard for. We don't need you. Shut up. Leave us alone. Have you noticed that nobody gets their outline of the book of Acts right? Outlining guys make it too complicated. It's quite simple. Paul preached in one city and caused a riot, but God protected him, and he started over again in the next city. Even this outline, though, leaves out what I want to point out once more, bringing this chapter to an end. The brothers and sisters in Christ defended and prayed for Paul. They were not silent. They didn't blame him for the riots. They didn't punish him for making their city and synagogue angry. They rejoiced in the truth and were in lockstep with God's servant. Did you know Luther preached through Galatians twice because he needed to get its truths back into his thick head a second time? Me too. And maybe my favorite verse is Paul's plaintive lament to the church members there in Galatia he was warning and rebuking. Galatians 4 verse 16, quote, So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Unquote. All that's required to fire a good shepherd is for the good sheep to be silent. John Calvin was expelled from Geneva twice. Jonathan Edwards was prohibited from preaching against the Lord's Supper sacramentalism he had inherited from his grandfather Solomon Stoddard. It was the leading men of his church in Northampton who refused to allow him to preach against giving communion to the, quote, unconverted, unquote. They told him no, but agreed to read a book on it if he wrote one. He did, and then they refused to read his book. A bit later, Edwards was gone. What you might not know is that Edwards next took a call to serve a small town out on the edge of the frontier where he defended the Native Americans there and preached to them simple sermons, also working towards their literacy. And there in Stockbridge, once more, he was suffering under the intense opposition of the wealthy leading men of the town and church. Job's comforters tell us how Calvin made mistakes, and Edwards shouldn't have done this or that if he wanted to stay in Northampton. So what now? Are these men going to tell us what was wrong with Isaiah, Jeremiah, 
Ezra, Amos? Do they dare to oppose the murdered prophets, Zechariah, John the Baptist, and Jesus? Using the same sort of criticisms they have shouted down their own pastors with today. No, of course not. They know which side of their bread is buttered and would never think of attacking Scripture's prophets and preachers as they attack their own prophets and preachers. But yeah, their own pastors and preachers are so abusive, they think they're such hot stuff. They're egotists. They always demand people listen to them, but they have nothing encouraging, nothing uplifting to say. They think they're prophets and can rebuke us, but my pastor is no Isaiah. He's no Amos or Zechariah. He may think he's Jesus, but he's not. During a life in which Mary Lee and I have loved pastors who fear God and ask for the Holy Spirit to lead their preaching and pastoral care, we've heard it all. So let us ask you this question. Has your pastor become your enemy? By telling you the truth. If you have been blessed by God with a pastor who is one of Christ's good under shepherds, love him, thank him. Love his children, thank his children. Love his wife, thank his wife. Give her some good tins of tea. Buy her the sofa she can't afford but would love. Secretly give her money to take her family on a vacation or she and her husband to go on a second honeymoon, then get your husband to make a private motion to the other elders to give your pastor a non-study leave, study leave, (laughs) or a non-vacation vacation. So he has no excuse for not enjoying your gift. Aside from such acts of love, though, do please defend him by silencing the schismatic women and their husbands who hate him. Although no one would ever use that word. Good shepherds deserve to be loved by those they shepherd. Another of the Apostle Paul's statements in Galatians, I love almost as much as the first, is Galatians 6, verse 6. Quote, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Unquote. Thank you for listening. Do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast to tell your friends they can now subscribe to audio recordings of Warhorn Posts. We depend on you as our only marketing. Until our next post, stay warm or cool, depending on where you are in the world. Devote yourself to loving your neighbor and love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. This is Tim Bailey saying thank you for giving us a listen. Goodbye. Desire.